I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I say welcome, and I'm uh, so grateful for this opportunity. Actually, what happened was Dad and I were both sitting down there, and he had a word ready to go, and then I kind of leaned over and said, hey, you're going to have to shelf it, because I got something, all right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We actually were both on the wireless mics tonight, so when we were coming downstairs, I said, because they're both muted, and I said, we'll do a little old-fashioned draw. Whoever unmutes faster, that, we get, that person gets to take the pulpit. So I won. <laughs> My youth beat his experience, and here I am. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. See, see, last time I spoke, he was watching via internet. Now he's here, and so I've got to kind of watch what I'm saying. But it really is a great opportunity and a great honor to be up here and to, to share some things that I feel are very timely and that God's put on my heart um, for this body and kind of where we're at as a church. Um, Dad, actually, him, him and Mom, last week was her birthday. She celebrated her 28th in... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. But she does look good. <laughs> uh, but they were going to get away for a few days to celebrate her birthday, and then just with weather and some things going on, um, they just stayed local. But it's, he asked me a few weeks back, hey, would you want to fill in again? And so I knew when he said that that I didn't completely blow it the first time I spoke. So... Um, it's good that he can be able to attend, and you know, he works so hard for us that he can sit and actually receive for once, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity. I'm grateful to have the opportunity, and truly it's a boost of my confidence to have a man there who's not just my dad, but he's my pastor, and he's done so much to help develop me and help make me the man I am, so thank you, Dad. <laughs> All right, enough. <I> <laughs> Enough of the sappiness, enough of the parent jokes. Now we'll get down to the, to the real deal of why I'm here. If you've been here at all in the last couple weeks, Dad has started to cast some vision for some endeavors that we have coming up um, for the church body and kind of unveil some things that we have in store. And we've always been a church that we, we've had groups in a certain capacity. We have some common interest groups, some small groups, but it's never been something that was really a part of our makeup or something that we made part of our culture. It was just kind of an option. Well, as we begin to narrow the scope and really fine-tune some things ministry-wide, we, we really want to take stock in the value of small groups and, and the, um, the, the fruit that can, that can come from doing life in small groups, doing life in community, and, and really the value that's there. Pastor Randy Bazette down in Bradenton, Florida, says that life change happens in the context of relationships. And so when we come together um, for a service like this, this is awesome. Um, we, we can build each other up and we can, we can worship and, and be lifted up through our knowledge of God. But it's hard to have discipleship and accountability and close relationship take place in such a big setting. And in a church of this size, whether you've been coming for 20 years or maybe, you know, tonight's your first night, a lot of people, something that we hear is that it's kind of hard. Uh, how do I go deeper? What's the next step? How do I meet people? How do I uh, get plugged in? And so we're really trying to uh, come up with some ways to make that easier for you, to be a part of what God's doing here, to meet people, to grow in community with one another. And we've got a lot of exciting things in store, but um, that's going to be revealed at a little later date. But one thing that he has started to cast vision for is that we're going to be kicking off men's groups in October. And beyond that, we're going to be doing groups for women, for family, for everyone. That is coming. But we wanted to start with our men because dad teaches that the better the man, the better fill in the blank. The better the man, the better the marriage, the better the man, the better the family, the business, you name it. And that's not saying that man is better than woman or women, but 
it's a biblical truth that the man is um, the leader of the home. The man is, is the covering. And if we have a bunch of men who aren't equipped, then how are we going to lead our families? How are we going to lead our marriages and lead the endeavors that God has entrusted to us? So we're kicking this thing off big with our men because we want there to be community. We want there to be accountability. And we want there to be growth so that our, our guys can stir each other up on the inside and we can have stuff organized right in our spiritual walk so that we can be ready to face the things that would come in our natural walk. Amen? So that's kicking off in October. We're going to do a six-week run, and we're asking every guy to get on board. doesn't matter who you are. Starting with our staff down, we're all going to be in groups of eight to 12 guys, and we're going to be working through a book, um, holding each other accountable, really having some true discipleship value, and then we're also going to have some opportunities to do some projects together, um, touching the people around us and, and getting to apply what we've learned and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So tonight, that kind of segues perfectly into what I want to share with you. Some things that God's put on my heart. I believe, and, and this really is the title of my message tonight, that we are to do life together. Can you say, doing life together? Doing life together. Doing life together. We weren't designed to be lone rangers. We weren't designed to be free-floating Christians um, with, without a home, with, without the help of each other. Pastor Rick Warren says that a Christian without a small group or without community is really like an orphan because the way God wired us, the way that he created us is that we would do life together, that the church would be the church and we would realize the the valuable part that each one of us plays in each other's lives and in the overall view of, of us fulfilling the mission that God has given the local church. Now, I like to, you know, if I'm going to be up here, I don't want to be trying to uh, uphold a facade or, 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 or try to convince you of something I'm not. I like being transparent and being real with you guys. So I'll give you a little personal confession. I, I, I don't mind hanging my dirty laundry out. And this isn't, a, this isn't a bad thing. It's just something to kind of show you um, kind of how I relate to doing life together. Growing up, I was always spontaneous. I was outgoing. I was more social. And then something changed towards my um, later high school years. My mom's shaking her head yes right now. (laughs) Something changed uh, towards the end of high school where I began to get more into music and creative arts and uh, video editing and graphic design and just more creative endeavors. And I found real quickly that I was more effective and I was more uh, productive. I was able to think outside the box, get more done and really hone my craft when I was by myself. And, you know, that's, that's a true thing. Whether it's seeking God, whether it's studying for a test, whether it's um, practicing music, whatever it would be, there's a lot of things where we are more effective when we can get alone and find solitude and block out distractions. But there's also a balance. And I've found in my life that I tend to, if I don't hold myself in check, I tend to be more of a hermit. <laughs> I tend to be more of a homebody. I enjoy my time alone. And if I don't, like I said, hold that in check, I'll end up spending a lot of time alone. And it's not to my detriment, but it really, it's, it's, it's out of balance. And it keeps me from doing life with other people, really how God has designed. And my wife, she can testify to it. She'll come home and she's maybe been doing some errands or running around town for a few hours with the baby. And she'll come in and the shades are drawn, the lights are off, and I'm working away on something. And she's like, what are you doing? We don't live in a cave, you know? And so that's, that's kind of, I tend to be more that way, but I'm working. And that's kind of why I'm talking about this tonight. God's doing some things in me, uh, uh, showing me the importance of, of the great opportunity and really the responsibility it is that we can do life with one another. And some of you may be on the other extreme. Maybe you have some home buddies here tonight, but maybe there's some of you who are always on the go. You're always going. You're always doing. You're always social. But what I want to show you guys is that tonight, 
as we look at what it means to do life together, we'll find that, there, that true God-created community allows for, um, it allows for that solitude, but it also allows for healthy community in us doing life together. Now, when I spoke a few weeks back, I talked about our God-given potential and that God wants to do great things in us, through us, and for us. But so often, the thing that would stop us from developing that potential is not always the outside influences or the things beyond our control, but it's it's actually the things that we choose to do. And a big one of those things that would get in our way is self-sufficiency. And that's the approach that you really don't need help or input or counsel, but that you kind of feel like you're best when you're on your own. And even in a church body, even in a group setting, even in community and family, self-sufficiency still exists. It can still exist. And just because there's people around you and you may, quote, be doing life together, that doesn't mean that there may not be a spirit of self-sufficiency. But what I want us to look at is that there's all kinds of people here. Everyone plays a different role. Everyone has a different personality and a different makeup and things that we were designed to do. But we are all better because of those people who are different than us. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We weren't created to do life alone and to be self-sufficient, but we're better because we have our Christian brothers and sisters. And because we're part of a church body that's living and active and God is moving in our midst, we're better because we can sharpen one another. Genesis 2.18 says that it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God's created the earth, he's created Adam, and then he realizes, you know what, I think he needs a helper. I think I'll make him a mate, I'll make him a woman, and he gives Eve. And so when we see that word helper there, it's not just that Eve's sole job was to help him. Helper really refers to one who supplies strength. And I think really what we see here is that a lot of times people see man as the dominant, stronger one, and the woman is to be solely submissive and to just support. But really, the way I see it, yes, there's, it, it, there's, like I said, men are designed and it's biblical that we are to lead, but men and women complete each other. Where a man is strong, there's areas where a woman is strong. And where a man may be weak, there's areas where a woman is weak. And God designed it perfectly so that we would complement one another and that we would be strong in each other's weaknesses and be able to... It's a perfect design. It's how he designed us to complement one another. So that helper, I'm not just specifically talking about Eve or, or, or the woman in this sense, but that we all can be a helper to one another when we do life together that we can complement each other. Now, if you look at Genesis 127, it says that God created male and female in his image. And you may hear talk of God's image, and a lot of time it's hard to really imagine what that's like in the natural, but I think God's image is best expressed in humanity through relationship. We can best see his image and his design for us through the relationships in our lives, the way that he designed and, and I don't just mean a marriage, I don't just mean one-on-one, but I mean in a group setting, in community, and in, in, in this church environment where we can truly do life together. That's where God's image is expressed. That's where Jesus is doing his local work through the church. And so know that tonight, that we're designed to live in community, to complement one another, because none of us are better or stronger than the other, but we're all better because we have each other. Amen? Okay, so when I'm talking about the church and us being the church— A lot of times the the word church is thrown around and we so often just picture a building or we just picture something that goes on once a week. But a church is not a place. A church is a people. A church is God's people. A church is us. 
God has, he's, he's built the local church and he's doing the local church, not as a building, not as, as one man, as a pastor, but through his people, through his followers. We are the church. Go with me to Ephesians 4.16. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The whole body, every ligament, every part doing its work. Paul's writing here, and he's using the body as a metaphor. He's using the body as a metaphor because in the church body, you know, some of you may be a foot. Some of you may be an ear. Some of you may be a heart. You may be, you know, we all serve different purposes and have different roles and different things to bring to the table. But the point I'm trying to make is that in a body, every part was designed to do something specific. And the body performs at its best when every part is working in harmony, when every part is doing what it was created to do, working in conjunction with the other. So we as a church, we are a body and we are each, um, we each have a part to play. And when we talk about a body, realize a body is not healthy unless every part of the body is healthy. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean. If I told you that I'm completely healthy, but then I told you my lymphatic system is failing me, then I'm not, I'm not healthy. Every part's got to be working and doing its part. If you, if you sat down to the doc, at the doctor's and he said, well, you are the picture of health, but you've got bad lungs, well, then you're not completely healthy. What we've got to realize is that every part, when it's healthy, is when the body is healthy. You can't have major things failing and say that you're healthy. And so it's no different with the church. Our church health is not um, based just on a commitment to an organization or a commitment to just a pastor, but it's based on a commitment to each other, realizing that we all need to be um, feeding ourselves and make sure that our spiritual progress is our priority and that when we're fed up and we're strengthened, then we can be our best in the whole scheme of things, in the big machine, every part working together. And beyond just being a body, um, we're, we're a family. And, and even taking it far, further than family, I, I believe we're to be friends because... Think about family. A lot of times, you're not, you're not, it's not an option who you're, what family you're born into, okay? <laughs> Some people love what the, the hand they were dealt, and then others tolerate it. <laughs> and there's that, you know, the joke, I love my family, but I don't like them. And, you know, for me, that's not the case. But I know for some of us that that's probably the case. You, you love your family, but you can't really stand to be around them. And so, yeah, there's probably people that you go to church here and you don't have a choice of who else gets to go to church here. But beyond that, I'm not saying family is a dysfunctional or an unhealthy thing, but further than family, friendship is something we choose. We handpick our friends. We choose the people that we make our priority. We choose the people that we want to do life with and that we're going to cultivate those relationships. And we choose to walk through life with them, through the good, the bad, the ups, and the downs. So really beyond just a body, beyond a family, I want us to be friends. I want there to be a unity amongst the church body and that we would realize the power that comes when we are unified. Pastor Greg Surratt, he's a pastor of a church in uh, South Carolina called Seacoast Church. And he says, a true friend is the one who knows the song in your heart and can sing the words when you forget them. A true friend is the one who knows the song in your heart and can sing the words when you forget them. Now, I don't know about y'all. Um, when I first heard that, it almost sounded like a cheesy quote that would be on a plaque in my mom's kitchen that she got at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and she's got a lot of those. <laughs> but really, think about it. A true friend is the one who knows the song in your heart and can sing the words when you forget them. That's the type of friendship and unity I desire for us as a church body. 
Because if we're really doing life together, if we're really walking through it together, say there's something I'm passionate about, something God's doing in me, and then I have a rough week, I fall hard, and I really lose sight of the big picture, and I'm discouraged. Well, if if I have a friend, someone who's doing life with me, and they know those passions, they know my strengths, they know my weaknesses, they know my struggles— They can come alongside and they can say, you know what? Yeah, you're going through this, but let me remind you of this. Let me remind you of the passion that God's put in your heart. Let me remind you of what his promises say. And that person can come along and they can sing the words of the song in my heart, even when I forget them. That's the type of unity I'm talking about. That's the type of friendship I desire for this church body. Yeah, we need to work as a body. We need to be family, but let's be friends. Let's have that unity. Now, talking about unity, anywhere you look at unity in the Bible, it's so clear that there's power with unity. That where there's unity, God moves greatly. If you would turn with me to Genesis 11, verse 6 through 7. It says, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So to give you a real quick backstory history lesson, this is um, after the flood, and and God has commanded his people to fill the earth, to, to go, to be fruitful, to multiply, to disperse. And... Man, oftentimes we think maybe our idea or or our way of doing things is better than God's. And so we choose to do that, and that's what we call sin. And right here, man blatantly disobeyed God. They stayed together, they congregated, and they began to build this tower to the sky. And it's the Tower of Babel. We've all heard the story. But the, the point I'm trying to make is they blatantly disobeyed God. Now, when you back up and you look at that passage again, it says that they spoke one language, and nothing they proposed to do would be withheld from them. They, up until that time, everyone on earth spoke the same language, and there was great power with that type of unity, with everyone being on the same page and speaking the same thing. But they blatantly disobeyed God, and he forced them to disperse. He confused their language, and they had no choice but to go and to do what he originally had asked them to do. Now, what I want for us is that we would all speak one language. I realize there's different ethnicities, there's different uh, people here, and I'm not talking about a literal language, but what I'm talking about is the fact that we would all be on the same page when it comes to the vision of this ministry. God places a pastor over a church, not just so a man can have glory, but he places them there as a shepherd, as a leader. And so God is not going to give any one of you, the vision for where this church is going. He may speak to you. He may give you ideas. He may give you motivation of how you can get under that vision and support it and and add to it. But ultimately, the vision is going to come from the man to the man, okay? It's going to come from God to our pastor. And so when I talk about speaking the same language, I'm talking about us being committed to the vision that God has given our pastor, backing that vision, being aligned and on the same page, and that when we truly speak that same language, there will be nothing that we can't do. There will be nothing that God, he he can put something big in front of us and we will go and we will do it because we're committed to the vision and we're not in it because of it's it's about me or it's about you, but it's about us fulfilling that vision and being the church. Amen? That's the unity I'm talking about. Thank you, Jesus. Still talking about unity, let's go to Psalm 133. 133. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So we see this picture of unity kind of painted for us, but the part that sticks out to me is that it says, the Lord commanded the blessing. It doesn't say that where there's unity, um, that blessing is optional or, or, or that it's available. It says that God commands his blessing where there's unity. So that's what I want. I want you guys to realize when we're unified, when we're committed, when we are aligning under the vision, doing life together, God is going to command his blessing. We're going to have life. We're going to have prosperity. We're going to have influence. We're going to have kingdom impact like we could have never imagined on our own. But because of that unity, he's going to work mightily through us. Where there is unity, God is greatly glorified and his blessing is commanded upon us. Now, anytime anything good happens for one of God's children, Satan automatically wants to come in and mess that up. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to take away what God has given to us. He wants to mess things up. That's what he does. And so if God wants us unified and God commands his blessing upon us, then obviously Satan is going to come in and he's going to try to divide. He's going to try to get us to cause into, uh, to fall into strife. He's going to try to cause us to disperse, to stick to our own, to be self-sufficient, to be about our surf, to be about ourselves and think that church is for us. He'll do anything to divide us. And I believe he has two big attacks when it comes to causing this division. And the first one of those is condemnation. Condemnation. And I'll show you why. Condemnation is when maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you've been in sin. You're dealing with something. And you get feeling bad about it. Well, that's where the devil will try to get you feeling condemned. And if he can get you feeling bad for yourself, feeling like you're the only one dealing with that, that no one else can relate, that there's no hope for you, that it's unforgivable, if he can get you feeling condemned, then he can get you isolated. Condemnation ultimately leads to isolation. And that's exactly how Satan would want it. Because if he can get us on our own, if he can get a sheep away from the rest of the flock, then that's where the attack can take place. That's where we can fall off the deep end. We need each other. We need each other to be a strength to one another. And he would want us thinking that whatever we're going through, no one else could relate. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. So if we're truly friends, if we're doing life together, then no matter what you're going through, I promise you someone else in this body is going through the same thing, or has gone through it and and has become a victor over it. Or maybe someone's never gone through that, but they can offer valuable counsel and insight into your situation to encourage you and walk through whatever it is that the devil is trying to use to condemn you and to isolate you. And like Pastor John said at the beginning of service, he said, this is a safe place. You're welcome here. This is truly a safe place. And I don't care what kind of stereotypes people may have or, for the church that it's hypocritical or judgmental or, or, or just condemning. But I want you to know, Meadowbrook Church, we welcome you where you're at. Amen. We love you where you're at because Christ Jesus loved you where you're at. He paid the price. When left to your own devices, you were doomed. Left to your own devices, you were, you, were, you were fallen and you were sinful. But he saw you as clean and he paid the price. So what is our job to anyone who would come through these doors? It's to love him and to accept him and ultimately to walk through whatever it is that they're going through and see the transforming power of the gospel of Christ take place in their lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you, God.
Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So there's condemnation. The first thing I believe Satan would use to divide us. Now the second thing, a big thing that I think he'll use, is consumerism. Look at um, the day and age we live, our society, every day, consumerism is a mindset that makes up the world we live in. And it's this mindset that everything is about me. It's what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And if it doesn't happen that way, then I have right to be upset about it. Everything is about me, me, me. It's, it's, it's breeding selfishness. And the disgusting thing is that consumerism is creeping its way into the church. It's infiltrating the mindset of how we would do church. And what I want you guys to realize is that you may think, well, there's no, there's no consumerism in the church. Yeah, there is. And, and whether you're aware of it or not, whether you even consider yourself being guilty of it or not, we all have been at some time or another. Because there's some of us who we just get through the motions, and, and it's a Sunday, and we get up and we get in our car, hurry to get to church so we can get our parking spot, find our row, get to our seat. Praise and worship starts. We want them to sing our songs. We want the message to be exactly tailored to our situation. And then when the, when the altar call starts and pastor says no one should move, we sneak out so we can get our coffee, get to our car, and get out before anyone else can fill a parking lot. <laughs> So, so don't tell me that consumerism isn't something that's not a part of the church. We too often make it about ourselves. I got to hold myself in check. Sometimes I'm walking and, you know, I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm going to do something. I'm like, whoa, I just need to slow down and I need to love on the people that are right beside me. Church is not about me, but it's about the people that God sends us. And it's about us being the church. So don't fall into that consumerism mindset that would say it's about me and forgets others. Step out of your comfort zone. Love people. Serve people. Realize that you're, the church doesn't exist for the already convinced. It doesn't exist for us. But it exists that we could love other people. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all men. Now this commission is a commission of communication. Not just in words, but through actions. Through the way we lead our lives. And so when we truly are being the church, when we're truly making it about others, we're stepping out of our comfort zone, we're loving one another, we're walking with each other, doing life together. When we're committed to each other, we're that, that much more equipped and ready to fulfill the Great Commission. Because if we love each other here, it, it, we're, regardless of what we're going through, that makes us all the better when we step into the world to love the lost, to love the hurting, to truly show them Jesus, not through just what we're saying, but through the way that we're leading our lives, that they would see the love of Jesus upon us. Abigail Van Buren said, A church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The church doesn't exist for the already convinced. Yes, you know, if we're all saved, that's awesome. And yes, church is for us in the sense that we can come and we can lift up and we can listen up and we can be fed and we can grow. But we exist so that we can impact the people who aren't in this building yet. We exist so that we can touch the people who are far from God and who have never encountered Him. That's why the church exists. Don't let it become a museum for saints. Don't let it be watered down with consumerism. Realize that we're in the business of people repair, and we want to do everything we can to impact the loss. Amen? Amen? So condemnation, consumerism. We know how the devil's going to use them, but we also know how to overcome them. Now, going back to earlier when I was talking about the body and talking about health, when something is healthy, it doesn't just maintain, okay? 
I mean, you can maintain your health, yes, that's, but that's not really what I'm saying. If something's healthy, it, it is progressing, it's growing, it's strengthening, it's developing. And so a church body, a group of believers who are doing life together, I believe that we're going to grow when we do things the way God designed. When we're healthy individually and healthy as a whole, then we're going to grow. It's just an automatic response. Pastor A.R. Bernard says we don't grow in isolation we grow in community. So that's why it's so important that we don't become isolated. We don't become lone rangers. We don't become self-sufficient. But we become committed to each other and realize that we're going to grow in community. Matthew sixteen eighteen, the second part, says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And this is Jesus talking. And, and so God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. He's all-knowing. He's in control. But... He's not forceful. He's not manipulative. So Jesus says he's going to build his church. That doesn't mean we get to kick back and do whatever we want, and he's still going to build the church. No, we have a responsibility. We have a part that we need to play. And when we play that part, he's going to empower us, and he will build his church through us. And here at Meadowbrook Church, we have a a commitment to growth. And you say, oh, great, here we go with the, the mega church talk. You know, mega church for so many people is, it's, you know, it puts a sour taste in your mouth. Who cares? Take the labels off of it. I want to do this thing as big as we possibly can with God's help, okay? And we're not committed to growth for growth's sake. We're committed to growth for kingdom impact's sake. The bigger we are, the more we can touch our community. The more we can touch our world, the more we can reach the lost. That's why we're committed to growth. Acts 2.41, Peter shares Christ as Savior to the Jews. And those who believe what Peter's saying, it says that they were baptized and they were added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't say that 3,000 were added to the church and they became a holy huddle and they maintained. But if you go on to 47, the second half, it says, Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Matthew Henry Commentary says, The Lord from day to day inclined the hearts of more to embrace the gospel. So that's what I'm talking about. It's an automatic growth response. When we're doing church how God designed, when we're not in it for ourselves, when we're doing life together and we're truly striving to reach the lost, then when those lost people are baptized and they make life-changing decisions for Christ and join the church, then the result is growth. And it's, it's a continuing cycle to reach the lost. And this may at first throw you back, but hear me. God is about the numbers. It's really quiet. God is about the numbers. And, and I'll explain what I mean. God is a big God. He does things in big fashion. He doesn't do anything mediocre or small. God moves mightily. And so God wants to move in his church mightily. And here at Meadowbrook Church, we count people because people count. We don't count people just to say, oh, there was 3,500 people here on Sunday. Wow. No, we, we, we count people because those 3,500 people don't just represent a number, but it represents lives changed, marriages restored, teens following God, depressed people finding hope, sick people being healed, strongholds being broken. The list goes on and on. And for every number of, of, of a person that would fill this place, there's a story, there's a background, there's something that God is doing. And we are all a f- fruit of that. We've all had our lows. Maybe we're in a lows. Maybe we're walking through that valley right now, but there is good things ahead and God is working in us and he's put people alongside us to walk through those things with us 
And God is about the numbers because people count. Now, hear me clearly on this. I'm not saying God only uses big churches. That's not what I'm saying at all. God will use a big church. He'll use a small church. He'll use anyone that he can to reach the lost and the hurting. But what I am saying is that I'm not just content to sit at 3,500. If we're truly being the church, if we're truly doing life together and we're growing and, and, and we're walking this thing out, aligning to the vision and, and fulfilling the Great Commission, then ultimately we'll see growth. I don't want retention. I don't want declining. I don't want to plateau. I want to see this thing be as big as God can make it. And I'm not saying this thing as in Meadowbrook Church. I'm not talking about Tim Gilligan. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about filling Ocala. I'm talking about going into the world and fulfilling that great commission and it being huge impact because of what God's doing in us. Now, starting to narrow this down, if we want to make an impact, if we want to be unified, if we want to do life together, there's a key thing that we have to get a hold of. And that key is love. Love is the key. Matthew 22, a religious teacher asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Yes, he says, to love one another. Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> my grandma threw me off. I think that was my grandma. That said, someone said it down here. <laughs> Back up. Sorry, grandma. Mama. <laughs> The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he says, in the second commandment of equal importance is to love your neighbor as yourself. And no other commandment is greater than these two. So if we want to do life together and we want to impact the world for Jesus, then love is the key. We have to love the Lord our God with everything we have, and we have to love each other as much as we love ourselves. And those two are equal, and there's nothing greater than those. It starts with love. One last scripture for you guys. 1 John four nineteen through 21. It says, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. So it comes down to this. This is the takeaway tonight. If we want to reach those outside of this building, we have to love who is already inside this building. We've got to do life together. Did you get anything at all out of this tonight? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you go ahead with me and stand to your feet? I moved fast and I threw a lot at you, but so you're probably sitting there and maybe you're challenged, maybe you're convicted, maybe you're looking at yourself and saying, God, how can I step more into this realm of doing life together? How can I challenge myself and step out of my comfort zone? And the truth is, none of us are perfect. None of us are doing it completely right. We all can make more effort and more progress into doing life together and embracing um, Christ-like community and being the church that he designed. So at the beginning, I talked about groups. I talked about some upcoming um, things that we're going to have to help us ministry-wide be able to more effectively cultivate community. But we don't got to wait for those things. Okay? Look around this room real quick. Just look around. Do a little head turn. There's a lot of people. And I could guarantee you, each and every one of you, you don't know everyone that's in this room. You may know the, the faces. You may even know some names. But when's the last time you went up to someone you didn't know, stopped them, and just loved on them? Saw how they were doing. Asked if you could pray with them. Introduced yourself. Stepped out of your comfort zone. Stepped out of that consumerism mode. Maybe you're Beelining for the cafe to get your coffee. Well, slow down for a second. It's not going anywhere. 
What about that person over there in the corner that you've seen a million and one times? I know it's not comfortable at first, but as we get in the, in the habit of stepping out of our comfort zone to love the people that are right here in front of us, then God is going to move greatly in us. We're going to see our unity and our commitment to each other higher than ever before, and that is going to translate into growth and to impact. And that's what I'm trying to get at tonight. So tonight, here's your homework. Before you leave this building, I would say even before you leave this room, I want you to find someone that you don't know or find someone that you've never talked to. And I'm not just joking. I'm not just saying that, you know, just to blow hot air. I'm, I'm challenging you. I want you to find someone you don't know, and I want you to love on them. I want you to introduce yourself, see what you could pray with them about, and let's start this process of doing life together. Amen? Amen. Well, if you would go ahead and bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. We'll have church Sunday, and we're just excited for what God is doing in our midst here at Meadowbrook and what he has yet to do in the seasons to come. Dear God, we come to you humbled. We come grateful, thankful to be a part of a living, active body. Thankful that you are alive. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your truth endures to all generations. Your word is alive. It is active. It is living. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. You are in our lives. We thank you for God, the Father who is in control and empowers us. We thank you for your son, Jesus who died for us and paid the price so that we could live freely, so that we could have salvation, so that we could have a second chance and an opportunity to boldly approach God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our guide, our helper, the Spirit who is in the details, the Spirit who knows us, the Spirit who helps us and enables us to walk in fullness of life and newness of life. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Build your church, Jesus. Be glorified. Think that when we are unified and you are glorified, nothing can come against the work that you want to do in us. We thank you that you command your blessing upon us. Thank you for what you're doing here in us. And let it not just stop here in these four walls, but empower us to walk this out boldly, to do life together, and to fulfill the Great Commission, to see people touched, impacted, transformed, and coming to be a part of the church. Not a building, not a person, but your followers the children of God, your church. Be lifted high, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you that you're with us in our week. Thank you for your peace and your joy upon us. We know where our help comes from. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. You're dismissed. There will be pastors and ministers in the altar for prayer, and we'll see you Sunday.